I'm going to pray, um, and then we're going to jump into our passage for today. Father, we come before you knowing that you are great, you are holy, you are all-knowing, you are complete justice and love, um, yet we come to you with the great privilege of calling you Father. And I pray that as today, as, as we look at uh, this passage, as we think about how we are to speak to you, as we think about how we relate to you, I, I pray that you would open up our eyes, uh, Lord, that you would use your word by your spirit to show us the truth of who you are. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. So I'm pretty sure um, we all go to this all-knowing force uh, with our questions, um, seeking answers, uh, with the need for directions, um, the need for help. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this all-knowing power knows way more about you than you want it to. I, you, you might even be able to say that this power has all the knowledge of the human race. Do you know what I'm talking about? Starts with a G. Second letter's O. Third letter's O. G L E. Google. I'm talking about Google. <laughs> it is funny, right? Um, how we think about Google. Uh, we go to Google for answers, right? We go to Google because. We don't know everything. Um, there are, get this, 5.6 billion Google searches a day. Isn't that crazy? And everyone who goes to Google has to have the same moment of realization. I don't know everything, and I need someone to help me find the answers. And that's why Google's so great, because it's just quick, right? It's quick, and we find some answers. Sometimes some of us are better at Googling than others, but um, we are all going somewhere for answers. And, and actually, that same mindset of realizing that we don't know everything and we need to come to someone for answers is the same mindset we really need to take into the next few weeks. Because we're going to be looking at something that's really familiar, um, something that all Christians do, um, but something that is deeply misunderstood. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to be looking at how Jesus thought about prayer. You know, the Lord's Prayer is definitely one of the most famous prayers of all time, um, and definitely one of the most famous Christian prayers. Even when it was just read out, you had the compulsion to some of you say along with the prayer, right? Um, but I also realize that when we talk about prayer in church and especially start to examine our prayer lives, there's, there's just, there's all sorts of stuff under the surface there, right? If you're anything like me, you're probably more discouraged about your prayer life if you're a Christian than not. Um, there might be some guilt or pain there. Um, you might look at someone else's prayer life or hear them talk about prayer and be like, ooh, that's nice for them. Um, but it seems like a distant dream. Or you could even be at the place with prayer where you're like, I gave up on that. It just doesn't work. Or you, you might even be here and you're trying to discover what this whole Christianity thing's about, and you 
you just don't think prayer is a good idea. You think it's just wishful thinking, you know, throwing up thoughts to the sky. It's what people say on the news when a tragedy happens. You're sending thoughts and prayers, and it's just kind of meaningless. But maybe you're also a little bit curious <laughs> to learn something new, maybe something surprising. And, and I think if we're going to get a right view of prayer, if we, if we have to go anywhere to learn about prayer, the best place is, is to start with Jesus. When he says, this then is how you should pray, he invites us to, to come and learn in a fresh way what it means to communicate with God. And that's, that's exactly what Jesus' teaching on prayer invites us to do. And I, I know, or I hope, uh, you'll be eager to jump into the actual text of the Lord's Prayer, where we're walking through each petition and figuring out what all of it means. Um, but I think it's really important, and what we're going to do this week is actually think about how Jesus actually just thinks about prayer in general before we jump in, because we could actually be like those people, I say those people, it's like me, who starts playing a board game before reading the directions, and you get about halfway through and you're like, why would anyone play this? <laughs> we can be like that about the Lord's Prayer, because we just want to jump in, we just want to do, we want to know the answers, we want to just Google it and find a listicle that will help us with our prayer life. But Jesus says, not so fast. Let's actually think about what this is. And that's when he gives us some of the keys to understanding prayer. And today we're going to be looking at three major things. How Jesus shows us the, the posture of prayer. Uh, he shows us the dangers of prayer. And then he shows us the safety of prayer. So those three things, the posture of prayer, the dangers of prayer, and the safety of prayer. So let's dive into the text today and look at our first point, the, the posture of prayer. And you might know this, but the Lord's Prayer is actually found in two different places um, in the Bible and in the Gospels. One's in the passage we read today, which is the more famous one, the one that's quoted most. And then one is in Luke 11. And we're actually going to start in Luke 11. So there's going to be a slide on the screen behind me so you can follow along. You can flip there if you'd like to, but you can also just look up behind me. We're going to just look at a couple of these points and see how we can come to enter into understanding prayer. So Luke 11:1 1 says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So there's a lot to unpack in this passage, but we just want to look at a couple of quick things. One, Jesus prayed, right? Uh, Jesus was a man of prayer. And actually, when you read the Gospels, one of the things you find Jesus doing more often than not is going away, getting alone, and praying, being with God. And this was so apparent that even in this passage, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and his disciples said, hey, can we learn to pray like you? So that's the second thing to notice. It was actually Jesus' disciples who asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I don't want us to think about this like a 21st century person saying, I need to learn how to pray, where you have zero context, you don't know what you're doing. Because if you see at the last line, it says, okay, actually go back to the slide. Um, it says, Jesus says, when you pray, say this. So what's Jesus assuming? He's assuming that all of his disciples are already praying. Um, and that doesn't mean like big guilt trip. <laughs> To you guys, it's just a point to say, 
they were in a praying society. So when Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Jesus, how do you, how do you pray? What they're actually saying is, yeah, how are you doing this? Because you do it in a way that is different than other people. And actually, we want to learn the way that you do. Because they would have prayed regularly. They, they would have prayed the Psalms. They would have prayed set prayers. There's a famous Jewish prayer called the 18 Benedictions. It sounds a lot like the Lord's Prayer. But, but each Jew would have actually been expected to pray three times a day. It was just something that was built into their society. So it's not so simple as to say, just teach me how to pray. They were experienced in prayer. They wanted to know how Jesus did it. And that was because they were disciples. Now, that term, we kind of use it for a lot of different things. But really, it was just someone who followed around a rabbi and learned everything that they did and tried to copy it. Because they said, you obviously have mastered this whole following God thing, and I want to learn it. I want to know how you do this. So when they say, Lord, can you teach us to pray, there's an implicit question in there that says, I've come to learn, relearn, or change what I think about this. And I think that's important for us because I hear more often than not when I talk to people about prayer, when I even feel like in my own prayer life there's a struggle, you might just think, well, maybe just prayer's not my thing. Maybe prayer is just something that God's given a gift over there to that person. They're just an exceptional prayer. Um, and that's just not, that's not me. Uh, but that's not what the text is saying here, is it? It's saying we all, even the disciples who lived in a praying society, we all need to learn how to pray. And I expect at some level you've been taught to pray, whether that was in church or from the Simpsons or um, from somewhere in your culture, um, you've been taught something about prayer. And I'm imagining not all of it was incredibly helpful. Uh, one of my favorite things I was talking to Hannah about the last couple of weeks, like, what were you taught about prayer when you were younger? She said, we had this song called Prayers Like a Telephone that you used to call Jesus. I was like, okay, all right, well... That's, you know, you're getting there. Um, you know, or prayers just like talking to a friend. You know, just, just open up. It's like, that's really helpful. Thanks, I didn't think of that. Um, but the reason why we need to be taught prayer is because it's a language we don't quite understand, right? We can get all these notions about prayer in our heads. And actually, what we need to do is be like the disciples and assume a posture of prayer that comes with humility and patience. So we need to be humble enough to say that I might have it wrong and I might need to learn, but we also need to be patient enough to say that if I'm going to have to relearn this thing that I might know, it actually might hurt and it might be hard and it might take time. So that's, that's the posture that we need to come to prayer with and when we're learning from Jesus and this is exactly where we, where we find ourselves, because what Jesus is doing in the passage that Cameron read today is he's trying to correct those misunderstandings of what prayer is, even in his day. And Jesus identifies two key dangers that can shipwreck our prayer life if we misunderstand the point of prayer. So let's actually go back to the Matthew passage. So if you have that in front of you, whether that's on your phone or on the Bible in the pew in front of you, again, it's 831 if you 
if you closed your Bible or put it to the side. We're going to be in this text today. We're going to be uh, through each verse of it, so keep it out in front of you as we're going along. And we're going to start again by looking at the dangers of prayer. So let's start in, in Matthew 6, 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So what's wrong with this person's view of prayer? Obviously, Jesus is saying, don't pray like them. Well, they're praying, air quotes, to God in order to be seen by others. That's the simplest way to put it. They're using prayer to gain something for themselves. It's a transaction. Okay? It's, it's kind of an if-then statement. That's what a transaction really is. Then, If I give you money, then you will give me food. I, well, maybe if you cook things for a living. Um, you know, if I help you out, then you can come help me out. That's how it works. There's an exchange of goods. And actually, the language that Jesus is using here kind of puts that forward. He, he says, what is their reward? That word reward actually just means wages. So literally, what do you get for what you put in? You know, and what this is saying is, if... I pray well in front of others, then they will think I'm spiritual. And this makes sense when you understand the nature of the word hypocrite. It's really not that much different in the Greek, but but a hypocrite was actually someone who was an actor. They were someone who put on a mask, someone who pretended to be something that they weren't. Um, And when prayer becomes a performance for someone other than God, that's where the reward lies is in the congratulations of that other person. The hypocrite uses God to get something they want, like recognition or status. You know, it's, it's kind of like spiritual arm candy. <laughs> You're using God. You don't really want him. What you want is what he makes you look like. That's the idea here. But I'm going to go out on a limb to say that you guys aren't standing on the street corners, praying in order to let your friends know you're a really great person. (laughs) I mean, I could be wrong, right? I could be wrong. Um, That might happen in church some. We feel like, well, if if I get the prayer right, then everyone will like me. But I don't think we have quite the same problem in the 21st century. I actually think most of us are ashamed to pray in front of other people. I actually think most of us are are really scared to say something wrong. I think most of us are scared that we're going to mess it up. And maybe we're just not even going to have anything to say. But do you realize that that's just the opposite side of the same coin? If, If the danger here that Jesus is describing is you're making your prayer life based on what other people think about it, then the security of your prayers and and what you think of them will only be based on what other people think about you. Or to put it more succinctly, this danger is the danger of comparison. 
to look good in front of others. And the core belief of this danger is if my prayer life is good, then other people will think highly of me. Or for most of us, what we probably think, if my prayer life, if they really knew what my prayer life was like, they'd realize I was a phony. So that's, that's, the, that's the nerve that Jesus is touching on here for us today. And he says, you can play that game, but I think we all know too well what the reward of that game is, what the wage of that game is. That's insecurity. That is a pass or fail mentality when it comes to prayer. And when you put other people's opinion as your security, you'll, you'll never know where you stand, right? It's, it's like walking out onto a frozen lake wondering where you're going to break through. That's not a, pray, a place to pray from, right? Jesus says, don't be like that. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't be like that. And this is the whole point. Because the insecurity that you feel when you compare yourselves to others will actually lead to you feeling like you're going to be found out. And there's nothing more that's going to paralyze your prayer life than that. That's the first danger that Jesus points out, this danger of comparison. So let's skip down to verse 7 in our passage today and look at the second danger that Jesus points out. He says, And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Have you ever had the thought, well, if I just had the right prayer or prayed for long enough, or prayed with the right attitude, then God would do this for me. Have you ever had that thought? I know I have. <laughs> um, and when, when Jesus is referring to pagans here, he's not referring to, um, you know, these horrible people. He's just referring to people who pray to someone other than the God of the Bible. And actually, this is pretty normal. They're praying to a God who they think they need to convince to hear them. The, the word for babbling is actually an automatopoeia. Um, you know, like hiss, bang, zap. Um, it's the word that sounds like the thing that they're doing. And, and the word is badalageo. If you just keep saying badalageo, 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 that's, that's, that's what you're kind of getting at. It's you just keep saying it over and over again, and it's just noise. It's just noise. And this kind of prayer, Jesus says, is, is the prayer that believes the power of prayer is in the amount that we pray or the words that we use or the consistency with which we pray. It's the work of prayer that, that the power lies in. If I put the work in, then God will give me what I want. And, and we can actually fall danger to this, even if we're praying to the God of the Bible, right? Um, we use a liturgy every week. And if we're not careful, that can just become something that we do. Right? We just use these words, and they don't really mean that much to us, but we're just going through the motions. That doesn't have to be that way, but it could be. Um, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't say the words if we're not feeling it, but if we're just saying them because we think those words are special and they're going to make something happen, then we're missing the point. 
We can also get really obsessed with the idea that only spontaneous prayer is genuine and only just kind of rolling with the punches is something that God might hear. So, but do you see how it's doing the same thing? It's using God in prayer. You know, this approach is, is a little bit more like a cosmic vending machine. <laughs> it's my prayers are the coins that I put in and I press the button and then I'm going to get what I want out of it. It's using God. Um, but did you notice what's missing? Look at the text. Verse 7. There's no reward for a prayer like this. That's why Jesus says, for their many words. What that really means is their vain, empty words. At, at least praying the other way gets you some recognition somewhere. <laughs> this is praying to a God without ears. Because that's, that's not how prayer works. That's not how prayer is effective. And this is really, really important before we jump into the Lord's Prayer because it's become one of those prayers for Christians, right? One of those kind of magic prayers that we say, thinking, if I just say this prayer, then I know God's going to listen to me, that I know he's going to give me what I want. If, if I say this prayer 20 times in a row, then he'll forgive my sins. We could, we could use that prayer, the power of the Lord's Prayer, for our own good but that's not the point, because it's totally transactional. So how do we know we're in danger of, of praying these types of prayers? Well, your prayer life would probably be full of disappointment. Because if the point of prayer is simply to get something from God, then every time God doesn't give you the thing that you want it seems like he's not holding up his end of the deal. Can you see how that would be really disappointing? <laughs> if the point of prayer is to get what you want from God and he doesn't give it to you, then you're going to be just left in total disappointment. But again, that is an if-then statement. That is a mechanistic prayer that is transactional. Now, that's not to say that we aren't supposed to pray for things to change in the world. That isn't to say that we aren't supposed to pray without ceasing. But it's the direction of our prayers and the point of our prayers that's the important part here. Because I really think if, if we think the point of our prayers is to use God to get what we want and we don't get that, that's going to leave us prayerless going to leave us prayerless, just like praying to be seen by others or praying in comparison with others is just going to leave you crushed and disappointed. So what Jesus is really trying to get at here is saying there are real dangers of misunderstanding what it means to pray. And newsflash, it's not just you who misunderstands that. This is a culture who, was bent, who were bent on prayer, who were experts in prayer, who prayed from a very young age, and they misunderstood. So what's Jesus' answer? Well, let's go back to the text and look, because he addresses these head-on, and it's awesome. Um, 
And I, I love, love, love what he says because he really sh shows us the point of prayer. Verse 6, let's go there. It says, but, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. So you see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying that prayer isn't about being seen by others. Rather, prayer is about being seen by God. Or as the ESV puts it, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is a beautiful sentence. Because the word for unseen and secret, they're the same word. If you go to pray wherever your father is, he will see you wherever you meet him. The point of this kind of prayer is to speak with your heavenly father. God's always there in this kind of prayer, in that secret place, ready and waiting for you to come speak to him. Do you see how this is way different than comparing yourself with others? Jesus removes others completely from the, from the uh, question here. And that's not to say that we shouldn't pray with others. <laughs> we should. Jesus actually, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, every pronoun or every uh, descriptor is plural. Our Father in heaven, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know, it's, it's an our prayer. It's communal. We're supposed to be praying together. But even when we're praying together, we're praying to God. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. So what's the reward of this kind of safety in prayer? Well, we can stop playing the comparison game. And we can get to the security of, of knowing that God is is not just there sometimes, but he is utterly accessible. <laughs> Anytime, anywhere, you can come to your heavenly father if you're coming to him and to pray to him. And you can have this kind of access to the father through Christ. But when we pray this kind of prayer in safety, we aren't using God. We're meeting him. And that's the point. We aren't using him. We're meeting him. When you pray to your Father in heaven, he sees you, he knows you, and that's what matters because that's prayer. Prayer isn't a transaction, it's a relationship. It's not a transaction, it's a relationship. You're starting to feel that safety of prayer now? Let's go on to the next one, because this one's awesome as well. Verse 8, so he says, don't be like them the pagans who just keep babbling on. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. When you pray to your father in heaven, you don't need to convince him that you're in need. When you pray to your father in heaven, you don't need to impress him with your words. When you pray to your father in heaven, he knows what you need before you even ask. So you don't need magic words. You don't need to, like, shout in the right direction. <laughs> you, you don't need to make sure that you're being heard because God knows what you need. 
one of my favorite psalms that talks about this is Psalm 139. He says, before a word is even on my tongue, you know it. God knows you. Father knows you. But you might say, okay, well, if God knows what I need before I even say it, then what's the point of even saying it? What's the point? And that's a great question to break the cycle of transaction in your prayer life. Because if the point isn't to convince him or to tell him everything that you need, even though he wants to hear that anyways, the point has to be a relationship. The point has to be coming to God for a relationship. God is a father in heaven, is our father in heaven. He's not a tyrant in the sky. He's not a cosmic vending machine. He's not the eternal genie. And it really matters that we pray to a father in heaven who knows everything we need. Because using prayer and using God to look better in front of others or using God to get what we want isn't the point of prayer. Like I said, that is a transactional approach to prayer. But Jesus is presenting a relational approach. And the reward of prayer when you don't use God is knowing him. The reward of prayer is not using God. It's knowing him. And I was trying to think about how, how to communicate this, and I, I only really thought, whoop, did we're going to grab. Oh, we're back on. Great. Um, I thought about some, uh, an illustration. I've already used it, but I just couldn't think of a better one. So I'm going to say it again because I think it's that great. Um, you've probably heard of a guy called Charles Schultz. Um, he is the creator and the cartoonist of uh, the, the comic strip Peanuts, or Snoopy and Charlie Brown. Um, and I heard this about him, and it just, it was, the, it was amazing. Um, his kids, when they were younger, never knew he had a job. They never knew. Not because he never worked, but because every time that they walked into his office, he put down his pen, he went and he sat down with them. And he, he spoke to them. As they asked him questions, as they, you know, talked about things that weren't that important, his priority was being with them. His priority was knowing them. It didn't matter what they said. And he probably knew, as a father, far more what they needed than they did. Did that change his perception of them? Absolutely not. He stopped and sat with his children. And this is, the, this is kind of just, just a, a, a tiny sliver of the picture that Jesus is trying to give us of God the Father. He, but he's the perfect Father in heaven. The Father who never leaves and the Father who always provides. What a Father to know. And it's important to say as we approach these next few weeks and we're calling God Father over and over again, I absolutely realize that some of you have an earthly father who looks nothing like this. We all have earthly fathers who mess up. We all have earthly fathers who aren't present sometimes. We all have earthly fathers 
who don't provide. But Jesus doesn't say, like a father in heaven. He says, your father in heaven. And that's important because what he's saying is, God is, he's the perfect father. And this is exactly how Jesus approached the father. In prayer, over and over again, we see him going to the father. And this is the kind of relationship Jesus wants you to have with God, the father, just like the one he had. That's the only thing that will give you real security in your prayer life. But you might ask, <laughs> okay, this immense freedom in prayer to come before the almighty God who's perfect and wonderful and awesome, that's great, Clint, or Jesus. <laughs> How do I know that's, in, like, that's true? How do I know I can count on that? Because I know I'm not perfect, and I know that I don't even come to God in prayer perfectly. How do I know? How do I know I can do that? We can know and be confident in that because there was a time when Jesus prayed to the Father and wasn't heard. When Jesus took all the weight of our sin and shame and comparison, all our self-loathing, and he took it on himself on the cross. Do you remember? He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a prayer on the cross, and he was truly forsaken so that we could be welcomed into the secret place. It was his place with the Father that he gave us. We don't deserve it, and we shouldn't have confidence in it because we are great at praying. We should have confidence in it because of what Christ did on the cross. This is a privilege that's handed to us by Jesus. Let's look at Philippians 2 really quick because I think this just sums it up. Philippians 2, 6 to 8. It'll be on the screen. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. We can trust that we can be in the presence of the Father without dying because God the Son died for us. We can trust that the Father will give us everything we need because he didn't even withhold his own son, but he gave him up for us. And as Paul says, will he not also give us everything else we need? This is the good news of praying like Jesus. It's the relationship that we could never deserve, but the one we truly need. So, as we move into this series on prayer, looking at the Lord's Prayer for a couple weeks. Where are you with this? Are you falling into the dangers of prayer in your prayer life, in your spiritual life? 
the danger of comparison leaving you feel insecure and prayerless, the danger of using God and being disappointed in prayer, which has left you doubting that God even cares about you. Well, are you ready to step into the safety of relational prayer? Of knowing God as your father? Are you ready to be met with a father who knows everything you need? Well, then you have to make the point of prayer a relationship, just like Jesus did, and he invites us into you. Because anything else will let us down and leave us prayerless. So if you're with me, let's, let's join the disciples in humility and patience and ask Jesus to teach me to pray. Because if we can pray that prayer, then we can pray any other prayer and know that the response that we're going to get is a relationship with the true God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as those who are in great need but are greatly loved by you who has given us everything we need in Christ. Lord, help us to pray. Help us to know you. Help us not to use you. Lord, we, we've been doing that for too long. So let us humble ourselves and in patience walk forward in confidence, not in our own prayer life, but in the prayer life that Christ offers us. Amen.